What does it mean that Jesus Christ is our great high priest, the greater Moses, and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies? The new Concordia Commentary on Hebrews is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month. It's written by regular guest Dr. John Kleinig. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Your pastor would deeply appreciate the new Concordia Commentary on Hebrews 1-800-325-3040. It's always a little bit creepy whenever a large conglomerate of a bunch of big Fortune 500 companies come together and start to dictate bathroom policies. More and more, God's Word is showing up less and less in evangelical preaching. Every person is going to see something wrong with their pastor. Now, why has the Lord let you see that wrong thing about your pastor? The answer is so that you can pray for them. Every sin is a form of unbelief where we do not believe that God's going to take care of us like he takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers in the field. This is Chaplain Colonel Philip Hauser calling to say that all Christian patriots love doing push-ups while listening to issues, etc. Carry on. Maybe it's part of our American mindset. This kind of almost inbred idea that Americans carry around with them to one degree or another, that authority, we should always be suspicious of authority. The authority is somehow something to be held at arm's length, certainly not embraced, and authority may even be a necessary evil in the world around us. That's certainly not how Scripture looks at it, and when it comes to Christian parenting, that's certainly not how Scripture looks at it. Authority is actually embraced as a good thing, not only God's authority, but the authority that God confers upon parents for the raising of Christian children. Why is it good, and what's the nature of that authority? What happens when parents abdicate their God-given authority and still have, well, you have the kids around the house? What do you do with them. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Wednesday afternoon, July the 26th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be having part three of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Today, parenting and the goodness of authority. Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest. Then Dr. Carl Fikenter joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, headed toward a trio of parables in Matthew 13, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great value, and the parable of the dragnet, to be followed by some of Jesus' words about treasures old and new. Some difficult words, but we'll find out what they mean and what to look forward to this coming Sunday with Dr. Carl Fikenter of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can join us with questions or comments or call-in number on this Wednesday, 1-877-623-6943. Send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org, a tweet at issuesetc, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us for part three of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism today, parenting and the goodness of authority, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. He's producer of Rev Fisk Raw podcast creative consultant to Worldview Everlasting TV, and author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be on. Let's talk about the nature of this authority that God confers on parents and why it is good. How would you describe it? 
Well, I think what you were saying, you really spawned a lot of thought on that with your, your opening bit there because of this tendency to think of authority as being an evil. The, the nature of authority, I think, is is God. <laughs> that God actually is is not just the author of it, but that there is something in his essential godness, in his image, if I can say it that way, that requires or is authority. And to get at what you were getting at, that we don't believe this, that we're in high rejection of this, there's a common proverb, I've know, I know I've had it quoted to me before, which is that power corrupts, which effectively means authority corrupts, right? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But if that is true, if that is ultimately a an unalterable truth, then that means God must be corruptible or corrupted or, or even evil in and of himself. The the antidote to this, or the flip side of this, is the potential that it's not authority that corrupts or power that corrupts, but fallen man, fallen people, who corrupt a good thing, which is what we do. That's what sin is. We, we take good things, we make them evil. So in this, then, authority is first an attribute that God has built into creation as a reflection of himself that we see not only in his bestowing upon mankind a a dominion, a stewardship over the earth, but also then within various relationships of mankind having with the rest of mankind. And also even within, you know, animals have a reflection of this. I was just listening to a really terrible book that I didn't finish listening to on Audible uh, about, it's called Sapiens, and it's about the, you know, the billions of year, millions of year history of humankind. But one of the interesting pieces of it was talking about how chimpanzees develop an alpha male figure within the group whose job it is to take care of everybody that he actually does look out for and will defend everybody else. He'll stop fights between lower cast members, if you want to call it that. So, in this way, authority is also something that if you leave humans along for any amount of time, you're going to find us siphoning off into various chains of authority. They may not be the ones we've said on paper we're going to do, but they're going to happen. I've always thought it was kind of funny that we we like to say that the the voters assembly or the council meeting is a, a place of equals but usually it's just the loudest and most willful person who gets their way and the rest of the group will follow along so authority is there we can't deny it the bigger question is what did god intend it to be there for who did he give it to officially and then therefore how might we use that for the benefit of others so let me just say one more thing before i toss it back to you and that is this that authority is granted to mankind, and authority exists from in God, with God's own authority, from himself, not for God's own sake. God is not all-powerful for God. This is the beauty of who our God is. He is all-powerful for everyone else, even, even within the hidden mystery of the Trinity, unto the other persons of the Trinity. But then, down to us, his authority is, is for our sake. And so, when he grants authority to us, when he gives Adam dominion over the earth, when he gives woman uh, to be subjected to her husband, when, when both of them, uh, husband and wife, are given a child, the authority is always for the good of the one beneath. It's actually more blessed to, uh, well, to give than to receive, I believe, is, is one of the ways we say that. So, uh you, we want to put the emphasis on this being this authority being good and not a necessary evil, because one might still argue, well, uh, authority just exists because of the fall or something like that. Is there authority before the fall between Adam and Eve? And then, obviously, the rhetorical or the kind of hypothetical question, had they not sinned, that authority with their children? Talk about that. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. We just had a little bit of that discussion at a conference this past weekend at Pastor Wolfmuller's church. I heard him in the in the opening segment there, and the topic was the three estates. This idea from later in Luther's life that you have not only the the civil government that you see, not only the church that you see, but then also this other estate, this other hierarchy, the family. And one of the discussions that uh, myself and, and a couple of the other gentlemen were having was, did this governmental estate exist before the fall, or was it, as Luther does imply in his Genesis commentary, was it more of a result of the fall? Now, the reason I kind of, I I found myself alone initially arguing, yes, it existed before the fall. This is what the dominion given to Adam was, was care for creation. And of course, when they had other human beings, there would be an organization, a natural and a perfect, wonderful organization amongst the polis, the city that they would form under God's design. But I've also heard it argued that women's ordination is only wrong because of the fall, but that, you know, if, if it weren't for Eve having eaten or the fruit and, and tempted Adam, as it were, then God wouldn't have put this punishment upon her of not letting her be, say, a, a pastor or, or being under the headship of man, which I don't think fits with scripture anywhere, uh, quite, the, quite the opposite, that they are given in the in Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, they are given a very clear gift, and it's twofold. First is dominion over the world, right? And second is fruitfulness and multiplication. Now, what you see in that gift, you see reflected in the things that are cursed after they fall. Dominion over the world and bearing fruit, that is what we would now just call family, having a family, right? The things that are cursed after the fall, a woman gets hers first. She is cursed in increased pain in childbearing. And anybody who's had a kid knows the pain doesn't stop once they come out. In some ways, that's just the beginning. You know, the, the increased pain in relationship with her offspring. And then also, she is given to, it says, we translate it very poorly, I think, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Far more clear or literal translation would be, you will be jealous of a man and yet he will tyrannize you. Right. So you see this dominion that Adam had over his woman, even getting to name her as woman as he did, right? This dominion is now ruined and becomes not, not just rule anymore, which we still hear as a bad word because we're Americans, but becomes instead the use of that rule for himself. So I, I think the case can be made very, very clearly that authority definitely is built into creation. This is why Adam has woman made from his side. The two are one flesh. He says, she's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And Paul makes this argument pretty clearly in, in Corinthians as well, that neither are without each other, but clearly the order of this creation, man to woman, uh, is one that creates a polis, creates a city, and that city first and foremost is a, is a family, and this is a good thing until we decide to start using, well, everything for ourselves. Then we kind of left off last time hinting at what we would discuss today in terms of the abdication of parental authority. Kind of rewind a little bit and run us up to that. Uh, And what are we talking about? What does it look like when parents abdicate their God-given authority? I think I told a story last time and I can update it. So I was, I was on, I was in a couple of airports this past weekend for this conference and was on a flight that was really late and, and, and whatnot. And there was a child. Actually, I was on almost each of the flights I was on, two of the three flights I took. There was a child, a young child, probably under 18 months, but not, not truly an infant, not like swaddling in the arms, who at some point, and for one of the flights, in fact, for almost the entire one and a half hour flight in the air screamed. Nonstop and blood curdling, like the top of the lungs. 
And in in both of those situations, I took a moment, and I, I try not to be a real jerk about this as you look over your shoulder, well, who is that, right? But I took a moment to just kind of look and assess, like, well, what's going on here? And in both situations, what I saw was parents who, it, to some extent, were ignoring the child, to another extent, were making eye contact, but only in a way that was sort of maybe offering something. One of the fathers who was alone with the child was had a little cup of ice and just kind of kept trying to hold the piece of ice out to the screaming child who very evidently did not want the ice at all. And what struck me about this, which continues to strike me about this, is how regularly we see, and this is just a microcosm of this, a belief on the part of that parent, a good-natured, so far as, you know, uh, not, there's no ill will in this, a good-natured belief on the part of the parent that they don't have any authority over that child. Because what? Because they're too young? Because it would be mean? I, I don't know what, but but I know my wife, who's gentler than I, would have done everything she could to shush the child, you know, to get up close and just make a noise in their ear because it, it would distract them at least for a moment so that the, everyone could breathe a sigh of relief for just a second. And we, both as parents, would spend the entire trip, if we had to, doing everything we can, even not disciplining in a physical sense, but disciplining with our own disappointment in the child, uh, that, that that child. And I can say from experience that there are moments where there's nothing you can do. There are. They do happen. Although they're not as common as it would seem, given that, I, you know, two of my three flights had it happen the entire flight long. The children respond to this authority, but we seem to have abdicated it. We seem to believe that it no longer exists, whether it is uh, a shushing or whether it is a little more firm word or statement or, or frowny face that you give the child. This, this, again, is just a picture that from cradle to grave, it would seem, we've abdicated this authority. Although, interestingly, this is, I can't take total credit for this, but this was pointed out to me at, a, at another event a, a couple of months ago by a father who was just chatting with me about his, his two, two sons who were high school kids. And the father pointed out, that most parents today want to be want to have no authority over their children when they're young and just kind of be their friend but then once they hit about 12 14 16 21 once they're supposed to actually be letting them go and letting go of that authority suddenly now they want to exercise authority and they find well, they find a war. They find the curse of Eve. You know, the, the pain and childbearing increases and the family dynamic is just all ruined by our, our selfishness. So this isn't to say that you can't abuse your authority and drive your kids away that way, too. You can provoke your children, as Paul says. But nonetheless, we should not, we, we must believe that authority built into the family is for the good of the child. And, and to have that happen, it should be exercised. It can't be abdicated. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part three of our series with him on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism today, parenting and the goodness of authority. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. We'll kind of get into some of the why of abdication of authority after this. A year ago, my wife and I returned to America from five years of ministry in Karachi, Pakistan. I cannot adequately express how wonderful it was listening to Lutheran Public Radio's music broadcast each Sunday morning before church service. We still listen. You can listen to Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world, anytime, day or night, 
at lutheranpublicradio.org, Amazon Echo, Google Home, and on the LPR mobile app. Stuck in traffic? Waiting in a line at the grocery store? Do better than scrolling through pictures of your aunt's chai latte and your friend's distraught statuses regarding the baseball game on Facebook. Download the digital version of The Lutheran Witness and get your theological fix instead. Not a subscriber? Visit cph.org slash trilutheranwitness for special offer. $6.99 for six issues. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Redeemer Lutheran, Mandeville, Louisiana. Our Savior Lutheran, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Christ Lutheran, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Emmanuel Lutheran, Louisville, Nebraska. Grace Lutheran, Warmister, Pennsylvania. Trinity Lutheran, Valonia, Indiana. Emmanuel Lutheran, Pensacola, Florida, St. Athanasius Lutheran, Vienna, Virginia, and Emmaus Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, click support, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll publicize your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Issuesetc.org. Click support. The Issues Etc. 300. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part three of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism today. Parenting and the goodness of authority. Pastor Fisk is host of a radio talk show called Sharper Iron, and he's creative consultant to World the Everlasting. Jonathan, let's uh, talk a little bit about the YC. Sometimes I think what you described there before the break of the parents just you know, putting in minimal effort when it comes to their children might hmm. just be laziness. But you're saying it's it, it, there's more to it than just I'm tired, we're in an airport, and I don't want to bother. I'd rather look at my smartphone. There's a real crisis here in in authority. Yeah, I don't I don't see the parents like doing other things. Their attention is on the child. I don't think I mean, I'm sure there are lazy parents out there that definitely we all have faults and sometimes it's worse than others. Right. But I see their attention on the child. I think they sincerely believe that the best thing for them to do is to endure the wrath of the child on them and to and in doing this, they are effectively changing roles. The child is now the authority and they are the subject or the servant. You know, there was a joke uh, I, I remember hearing once, I won't be able to tell it very well, about cats and how they more or less would eat us, except for they figured out how to make us all serve them food anyway. And so why would you eat your slave if they're going to feed you every day? And so and if you know cats much, you know, that's kind of how they act, actually. But but the idea is, you know, they figured out how to trick us into doing everything we need. And this is almost the way that, again, that, that parents seem to be subjecting themselves to the whim and the will of their children. You know, I've also seen examples, and it happens too, where with us, we'll, we'll be at the store and one of my kids really wants something. And, and even though they know we don't generally buy them anything when we're out just getting groceries, you know, they ask anyway, and it's a piece of clothing. And the next thing you know, you're in a little bit of a debate. Well, I've seen parents in public places lose that debate, and I have no idea how. They have the credit card. <laughs> 
I, I got no idea how they lose. I mean, I'm never happy about the debate. It's not a lot of fun, but but I don't I don't lose it, right? Uh, because partially because I'm, I'm I, here I am a cheapskate, but partially because I also know the child has to be raised to know that money is a real thing and that the 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 binge purchasing isn't ever going to satisfy you, and it often will get you things you don't want, and that you got to learn how to how to manage your finances and be able to delay gratification. All of those things are part of helping the child or, or saying no to the child at that moment. And so yeah, it, it is it is a crisis. One of my great fears personally, and this is very selfish of me, is what happens when a generation of narcissists, a full-blown narcissists, are put in charge of the country. When they don't believe authority exists in any real healthy way, I mean, all that remains is then when you do have it and you are that screaming child who's been used to getting what they want since they were two and never has heard the word no before, well, of course, you're going to think that whatever power you do have is for your own good, not for the good of those you're there to serve. And my fear is we'll see a breakdown in society. We'll be a society that cannot stand on its own two feet anymore because we don't have any concept of of duty. If we want to have an idea of what duty is, then we've got to have authority because the two things, I think, go hand in hand. Then let's talk a little bit about the uh, when the, the authority is abdicated. What effect does that have? We know what effect it has on the parents. They just kind of walk around not quite sure what they're really there for, it sounds like. Um, what effect does it have on the children? Well, it... it it feeds their sin, if I can say it that way, you know, in our day and age. Yes, they're sinful. They're they're broken. They are self-centered. And all that we do is reaffirm that. I think we talked about this last time with postmodernism being this hyper-belief in the power of the will that, that Nietzsche set up for us, or at least pointed out for us that this is where we were going. And in that, it's just a matter of original sin being given the A-OK, boy, keep it up, as opposed to many, most other worldviews in the world, communal worldviews, even pagan ones, communal worldviews, still, they knock down the individual in order to create a, an organization of at least mutually assured beneficial selfishness, right? So, so we're going to serve each other because we have to, because if we don't, we're going to die. Now we're just sort of saying, you know, again, boy to sin itself, and and in this again, when when I use the word narcissism, I don't I don't take that word lightly. I know it does get thrown around a bit lightly today, but that that's a very real, diagnosable psychological condition with a scale. The same way that say various levels of of scale that you can you're you're on this sliding motion, right? So you can you can be a five on the narcissist scale. That's not a good thing. If, even if you're a five, you can be down at the three. That's probably a little more healthy. You know, if you're up in the eight or the nine, now you're in the criminal range. In fact, they've, the, the book, The Narcissism Epidemic by Gene Twenge points this out among a number of other things that the place where people have the greatest self-esteem in the whole world is prison. If you, if you want to test them seriously, they all think they're doing fine and, uh, and they've got no problems, nothing to change, at least at a higher level. So when you get up into that eight, nine range, you end up being so full of yourself that you can't even empathize with other human beings. You can't even see how your, your actions are hurting other people. Uh, similar, and I, this is the word I was looking for earlier, borderline personality is actually worse, uh, but it, there's a scale again for this. So, what we have seen in the book Narcissism Epidemic points out is that the 40, 30, 20-year-old generation has inched up on that scale as a whole, that we've moved slightly to the to the wrong side of north 
as a group, that all of us are testing a little higher as narcissists. And this probably, at least the book says, has something to do with the way we were raised, that we were never really, to say it kind of crassly, put in our place. And that we're basically, my fear now is we're doing the same thing on an amplified level. So we're going to end up with, a, again, a generation of, of kids who think selfishness is a virtue, right? Follow your dreams. Just think about how long that refrain has been, has been pushed on us as if my will is the only thing that really makes truth. So two issues here. The, you got the, the civil reality of a societal breakdown, and I'll, I'll fear monger that one a little bit on the left. But then on the right, here's the other thing too. If I'm fine no matter what I do, and all authority belongs to me just because no one's ever shown me otherwise, how am I ever going to learn to confess my need for a savior? How am I ever going to have a conscience that is pierceable enough liquid enough that I can have guilt. And in this, how am I ever going to learn of the forgiveness of sins as a real thing? So there's this other side of this where it is very, very directly impactful on the church. You know, Paul Paul says this pretty clearly that, that a seared conscience is about the worst thing you can get, the hard heart. And we do this on our own. But how much worse are we going to be at that if we've never had a law from outside of us, which we can believe we've broken? Yeah, I would not know what coveting was until God said, you shall not covet. Well, now we don't even know honor your father and mother. You know, it used to be nine and ten were the, the, the shoe in. We're down to four, <laughs> right? What comes next? Murder, right? I mean, we're already killing babies. Adultery, we, cohabitation is no problem. Uh, theft, well, free downloads at least, right? Lies, everyone knows that you don't tell the truth if it's going to get you in trouble. I mean, golly. That's where we live. How long can any civilization survive without any form of duty, which again is, is part of this issue? Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest, part three of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Today we're talking about parenting and the goodness of authority when we come back. Narcissism is both the cause and the result of the parental crisis we are witnessing. Stay tuned. Do you have a student finishing up eighth grade at a Lutheran school? Do you wish there were a Lutheran high school close to where you live so your student could continue going to a Lutheran school? What if there was an opportunity for high school students in public or Lutheran school to take classes like Latin, logic, and hard-hitting theology courses? Well, there is. It's called Wittenberg Academy, the first completely online classical Lutheran high school. Visit our website, wittenbergacademy.org, to find out more. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. It is the greatest adventure you could ever possibly imagine. It's demanding, it's hard, it's challenging, and what a blessing it is. Dr. Larry Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on why a man should consider the vocation of pastor. And it is an incredible blessing to be honored with the opportunity to work with these incredible young men 
uh, and older men uh, as well, who uh, are committing themselves to the proclamation of God's Word, the right distinction of law and gospel, and to uh, take the good news of Jesus Christ into all the world. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. Yes, there is a Messiah in Seattle. Messiah Lutheran Church and Concordia Lutheran School have served North Seattle for over 60 years, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 8 and 1045 with Bible study at 920. Messiah Seattle is proud to support Issues Etc. To learn more, watch our adult information class videos online or on DVD. Our website is messiahseattle.org, 206-524-0024. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest, our series on raising Christian children. In an age of progressivism today, parenting and the goodness of authority. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break, as often as possible. You can find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Broken by Pastor Jonathan Fisk, one 800 325-3040. A little bit later, we're going to be talking with about President Trump's policy on transgenders in the military with Travis Weber, a Navy veteran and director of the Center for Religious Liberty for the Family Research Council based in Washington, D.C. Jonathan, before the break, you were talking about this narcissism, but you say it's not only the cause of this kind of crisis of authority in the family, it's also the result of it, too. Go into a little more detail. Yeah, well, I think it should appear logical on the surface that if because I believe my offspring is so special that I also buy into the idea that he or she should be just pampered, given everything good, never shown anything negative, that this is the ideal form of parenthood is to serve this child, that this child is also going to believe that they're special over and above everybody else. So one level of narcissism, which thinks highly of self and so thinks highly of offspring, will create an offspring that thinks even more highly of itself than, than the first. It's kind of a, a downward spiral. So that self-interest or self-serving, staring in the, the pond as narcissist, the Greek figure of tragedy, did, staring at his own reflection, loving self, really becomes the only duty that the person internally knows, the only gut duty, right? So if I can just push this in a different direction here a little bit, part of worldview or what a worldview is, is not only that you think with something, but it's your instinctual 
reaction. So you think about when you have these gut reactions or these gut feelings, those don't come out of nowhere. Those come out of what you believe, what you know to be true. And this can be learned from experience. It can be learned from the word of God. It can be learned from lies. Somebody told you it really doesn't matter. You. It's going gonna, it's gonna to form how you react and how you respond to things. So what happens when your worldview is that you are the only person that matters? Now, your gut, your, your most driving, emotional, passionate will is not going to be able, not going to be capable of empathizing with others, of having a, a successful relationship with others. It's going to be your highest known duty to make sure that you come out on top. And that's the terrifying thing about our sin, In period, is that once we have this deep belief fed, it doesn't really ever turn back. Adam wants a finger and he takes the entire arm, uh, as Luther was fond of saying. So, remember that we lived in a country that at one point was formed by the worldview of Christianity. It may never have been Christianity, but the Judeo-Christian ethic created a, a corporate, a communal understanding of the human in which all humans were taught to and rose natively believing that they owed something to the rest of us. They owed something to society. And, and even if they weren't Christians, they still, that was part of their worldview. It was in their gut. Now there were, there were exceptions to this rule, <laughs> narcissists and borderline personality and thieves and robbers and all this kind of stuff, right? But, but in general, the society was built up of people who believed that it was their duty to give something back to that society. And now it would seem that we've adopted a worldview that won't raise that kind of human being anymore, that won't give us these kind of boundaries anymore. It doesn't really matter whether it's this generation or the next one. The path is going to keep spiraling down bit by bit, and it can only continue to increase then the frustration that we see, the inability to have a political dialogue that we see or, or to debate or discuss or, or even in a healthy way, I mean this, even fight with each other. I had another pastor friend talking to me about how he goes to an MMA gym, uh, a gymnasium where they have mixed martial arts. And he was sharing how it was amazing that there he could be in a, a wrestling match slash fist fight with somebody who he just met because he's traveling and he's going to this gym he's just gone to where they're at adrenalized attacks with each other, and they roll off afterwards, they roll after it, and they just, they're buddies. Hey, yeah, that was great. Thanks for that all the time. And yet in a, in a congregation, we have a little tiny disagreement over the color of the carpet, and suddenly we're at, we're at war with each other. And we kind of ran from that. Into the, it is interesting that as Christianity has failed to do its duty within its own house of helping parents and, and everyone else to understand duty, you do have... Young men who especially hunger for boundaries, seeking it. And where do they, where are you finding it? In places like martial arts, where there's going to be discipline, there's going to be structure, there's going to be an authority. There's no question that there's an authority in that room when you walk in. You're all supposed to bow. <laughs> it's, it's something that, how can Americans do this? Americans don't bow for anybody. Well, now they have senseis and, and whatnot. Humanity is going to try to find this authority somewhere. The question is, one, will American civilization survive it or will it just be replaced by other civilizations that continue to maintain their traditions and their duties? Or, and what about the, the church in this place? If we also start to interpret scriptures, say, to say that authority is a result of the fall, well, then we have no real reason to believe it's a good thing anymore. And we're, we're certainly not going to be 
making it part of our dutiful worldview. At the very least, we'll be legalists. At the at the best, we will be legalists and nothing more, rather than seeing that the law is good for its for its own sake. So, the result of this again is just an amplification. When when Adam gets a finger, he takes the whole arm. If we're going to raise our children to believe that they are near like gods, then that's how they're going to act. And then, I mean, this should be where we go again in the future of this conversation is maybe we shouldn't be so surprised when at age 16 they won't listen to us at all and they just want us to buy stuff for them and leave them alone. How important is it that Christian parents have a very sturdy, robust view of original sin when raising their kids? Well, you're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I'm a a Lutheran pastor. (laughs) I'm going to say it's kind of about the most important thing with and under the antidote to that understanding of original sin, mercy. I, I, I gotta say mercy is probably my, my chief one that you would understand that what the child does need is grace. But they're only going to learn that grace if they if they have a system in which they are confronted with their sin based on real truths, real laws and duties which they break. In this though, then, kind of to get more directly at your question, it it is certainly helpful when Let's just take another example of a place where it is common wisdom these days to let the child rule. Let's take the kid going to sleep when they're two to five weeks to two months to four months old, letting them sleep, helping them get through the night. Common wisdom these days is that you do everything you can to keep them from crying. And so if you try to put them down and they cry, you have to go fix that. You have to go stop that somehow. And this could be done a number of ways. Usually it ends up being food. You go give them a kind of food. It can also be just a little touch, but usually that then leads to a little bit of food if you got mom involved and whatnot. And so you have a a, a belief then that the kid must have a good reason for crying, which the child, if they're a sinner, might not. They might be crying just because they're angry. They might be crying actually to see if they can, if they can get you to come because, well, you do comfort them, uh, but also it, it might be a little bit of a game. We'll go a little later in life. And I, I know, Todd, you probably remember this. Every parent has it happen. I'm always still amazed to see how many people will, will put up with it where the, you know, the kid drops the toy off the high chair and you pick up the toy and you say you know if you drop it, it's going to fall and then they look at you and they hold it out over the side again and they're smiling while they do it and then they drop the toy again now the second time this happens do you pick it up again i never did in fact, i i was like nope it's gone sorry dude and i'm ignoring the child i'm going back to my food and then they cry and uh, this uh, this is probably going to get me in trouble somewhere but if they would cry at the dinner table loud enough what i would do is i would take the high chair and i would turn it around just so it faced the wall so everyone else at the table is still facing the table, and the child is now facing the wall. And then we let them cry at the wall. Usually they didn't cry very long. You get, get 30 seconds or so, and then they'd, they'd look at me, and I'd say, well, stop crying. I'll turn you around. And eventually they stop crying. i turn them back around. The pattern is reestablishing that pattern. The same thing then, again, to bring it back to the, the evening with the, the child going to sleep. If you let the, If you assume that the child always has a good motive and never is being selfish in that moment, you're at the whim of the child. But if you can also, if you can believe that, that maybe the child is just screaming because they're a little infant jerk who thinks that you should do whatever they want whenever they want, regardless of how this affects you, them, or anybody else, 
Well, then it's a little bit easier when you have to at least, you know, kind of try to get through part of that night. Let them cry for 15 minutes before you go check on them, right? And let them see if they can get their way through it. It's a little easier to do that especially once you figure out, oh, they're playing me on this one. And if you don't think your infant can play you, well, again, then you don't know original sin. If you know original sin, then you better believe it. Your infant can play you. And your job as a parent is to not get played for their sake. And I can't emphasize this enough. It is for the sake of the child's well-being that structure boundaries and thereby the authority over to create those is is put into place you in theory you wouldn't feed your child candy for breakfast although maybe people are doing that these days why because it's good for them to have a healthy breakfast right everything that a parent does is directed in that reality and the more we know that the more that is what's driving us the better we're going to be at it Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio show called Sharper Iron he's creative consultant to worldview everlasting and author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often as Possible. We continue our series with him next time, picking up right there and getting into the book of James on parenting. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure, Todd. Thank you. When we come back, Travis Weber is going to join us. He's a Navy veteran and director of the Center for Religious Liberty for the Family Research Council based in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk about President Trump's policy on transgenders in the military. For 28 years, I had the privilege of serving as a chaplain in the United States Navy. Dr. Dan Gard, retired Rear Admiral and President of Concordia University, Chicago, on the need for military chaplains. During that time, I was able to bring word and sacrament to so many young people and their families, our sons and daughters spread throughout the world. Truly a privilege and an honor, and today, there are other chaplains that must follow. We need more LCMS chaplains in all branches of the military. It's an incredible, amazing mission opportunities to go to places no other pastor can go, but to go with the same tools that any other pastor brings wherever he goes, word and sacrament. You can find out more about the vocation of military chaplain at lcms.org slash armed forces. The LCMS ministry to the armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you tired of working nights, weekends, and odd hours trying to cover your bases at home just to make ends meet? At the Cleaning Authority, we call that the multi-job shuffle, and we want to end that for you right now. We'll train you in our proven, efficient cleaning methods, and you'll be partnered to work in pre-qualified homes. Call 314-416-8117 and walk away from the multi-job shuffle with a future in our St. Louis office, 314-416-8117. I bet you didn't know that the teaching of Latin in schools is making a comeback. Latin? Really? Isn't that a dead language? Well, take a look at what studies say about how well Latin students do on a test like the SAT. Memoria Press's Latin program will revolutionize your students' vocabulary, knowledge, and their understanding of grammar. And there is no better subject for teaching critical thinking skills. Visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR. 